Welcome to our new podcast series, Ear to the Ground, where Tribe's culture change experts share their thoughts and observations on the big topics of the day. So hello and welcome. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Claire Solomon. I'm the founder, one of the founders of Tribe and the creative director of the business. So thank you for joining today's virtual roundtable where we are going to be reflecting on the lessons learned from last year and discussing how we can harness what we've learned to help us take back control and build a safer, healthier and better future for everyone. So before I hand over to, to Mark Orman, Tribe's Managing Director, who's going to be hosting today, I'm going to introduce your panellists. So first up, Gareth. Gareth Davis is Head of Health and Safety and Environment at Nokia. So Gareth is responsible for all aspects of employee health, right across the business from offices and labs, right through to the higher risk areas of field deployment. He has 18 years of experience implementing programs with a strong behavioral content, and he likes to make the complicated simple and empower people to make the right decisions, no matter who they are in the organization. So Tribe, we've worked with you, Gareth, on many really interesting projects over the years, the development and the launch of the Nokia Global Lifesaving Rules, the Excellence on Repeat project, where you encourage people to investigate excellence um, with the same rigor as they do investigate their accidents, and most recently, the, the Good Day at Work programme, which is supporting team resilience across the business. So welcome to Gareth. Next, Mark Bayard. Mark is the Health, Safety and Wellbeing Director at Highways England. So Mark has taken the lead on HS&W for Highways England for almost three years now. And that's quite an ask because Highways England design, build, operate and maintain England's motorways and major A roads. That's 4,300 miles of our national transport system and a vital piece of in infrastructure for the country. So to date, Mark has 24 years experience of managing safety. I added it up on LinkedIn, so I hope I got that right. <laughs> Um, working for some diverse businesses and prior to this current role Mark was H&S director for United Utilities and before that played a lead safety role for Seven Trent Water. We first worked with Mark um, during his time at United Utilities and we're presently working together to help embed the Highways England's Home Safe and Well programme program that supports their strategic aim that no one should be harmed when traveling or working on the strategic road network. So welcome to Mark. Stu Pollard. Stu is head of safety and well-being for the Port of London Authority. Stu has an extensive career in health and safety spanning over 20 years and prior to joining Port of London Authority, Stuart was head of safety and well-being for two of London's biggest infrastructure projects, the Lower Thames Crossing and for the Tideway Tunnel Project. So over this time, Stuart says that his approach to safety has changed dramatically from being very process driven to one of innovation, change and collaboration. And with a mantra of expect the unexpected when engaging and promoting vital health and safety messages. We've certainly seen that that's true in the sorts of briefs that Stu has given to us. Stu has an inventive and very open mind when it comes to engaging teams. And that really plays on our strengths at Tribe with our combination of art and science. 
So as a result, we've worked on some really interesting projects, groundbreaking breaking projects, I'd say, including a back-to-work pantomime, workshops with immersive 360 film viewed in VR headsets, and a spoof on Back to the Future. And one of our latest projects for the Port of London, a make-your-own-adventure-style induction, where delegates get to experience the consequences of their decisions when faced with everyday moral dilemmas. So, Stu, it's great to have you with us today. Um, and next up is Ella. So Ella Nillacanthy Ford is one of our Tribe Culture Changes consultants. Ella has spent 25 years working globally, having lived and worked in more than 30 countries and set up and run businesses for multinationals in South America and Asia. I feel that Ella personifies Tribe's mission to harness the power of science with the art of engagement. Ella began her career in television and broadcasting, first as a journalist and finally as a producer and subsequently transferring into working as an international consultant and business coach in leadership and organizational transformation. So she incorporates the neuroscience of coaching into her practice to provide a brain-based explanation for human behaviors. So Ella's one of our lead consultants and most recently working on projects for Cadent Gas, British Telecom and OpenReach. So welcome to Ella. So Mark, I'll let you do your own introductions, but I'll hand over to you now to kick off the discussion. Perfect. Thank you very much. So yeah, Mark Orban, Managing Director and Co-Founder of Tribe. Um, I say too much. I've been doing this for 20 years and just had the privilege of uh, doing all sorts of interesting stuff in this area. So um so uh, great to be involved doing this. Um, hopefully you'll enjoy today's discussion. It's great to, uh, to have all the panelists on board. Um, and as Claire said at the start of the, uh, the introduction, you know, it's partly reflection. Um, I know people have spent a lot of time thinking about um, COVID since it started, but what we're really keen to do is to make sure we draw some of the lessons out. And despite the challenges that organisations have faced, there are some really key lessons learning that we think we can take forward, whether that's in the in the kind of immediate short term and, and, and facing a challenge that's not going away anytime soon, or even in the longer term and, and, and what we can use to really embed stronger, more effective health, safety and wellbeing culture. So that's that's what we're going to reflect on today. We've got some great experiences here that we're going to talk about. And I'm going to I'm going to set up the first question. Um, it'd be really good with this first question just to get a view from you all about your businesses and your own unique challenges. And obviously, Ella, from your perspective, seeing it, I guess, across a different, uh, a few different organisations. So the, the first question we're going to kick off with is, is what do you see as the major differences for your business between the first peak and this, and this most recent one? What's changing um, and what has changed over time? So... Um, who fancies kicking us off? Otherwise, I'll, I'll victimise somebody. Okay. No, no. Go I'll on, then, Stuart. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, that's fine. It's no problem for me. Um, so so the, the first peak really didn't affect us in a great deal. I think, I think what we ended up doing was scattering people into their homes and making sure that they were secure within their home environment. Um as we came out of lockdown, we relaxed things in line with the government guidance and everything else. However, the, the second peak has really knocked us for six. Um, we have had major problems trying to provide um, our services in an operational field, um, especially in the key areas. Um, 
And if we can't do that, then we affect the supply chain throughout the southeast of England. So, so we could impact any construction project, any um, supermarket, any oil distributor with the amount of uh, trade that we do through the River Thames and everything else. So if we can't operate those key operational areas, um, we're in big trouble in, um, to be able to supply sort of mark on his projects and on, on major infrastructure okay perfect so you've, you've seen a seen a sort of big big difference what what kinds of things um are you doing Stuart, to try and help manage this the second peak challenges as you described them um so so within the operational side where, where we used to have people within the office working side by side when i say side by side i'm saying within social distancing and everything else like that um parameters um but we've now cocooned people within those um uh working environments um so much so that they are pretty much working with shields either side shield over the top of them um there is absolutely only four people w moving into an office environment at any given one time, just be, just to be able to maintain the services that are, are critical. Okay, so you've really ramped up the kind of physical protections you're talking about there. Yeah. Okay, All right, I'd, I'd like to dive into some of the stuff around the kind of attitudes and the differences, but we'll, we'll go to a few of the panellists and come back to that if that's okay, Stuart. So, um, Mark, do you want to... Kick us off really with um, a bit about what what you've been doing, what you've been seeing, some of the differences. Yeah, okay. Uh, I suppose um, first time round. So, if we take it from a pandemic point of view, I think um, it all seemed a bit surreal, really, because I'm not sure that many of us felt we really knew people that had this thing. We knew it was going on out there. It wasn't a huge impact on the company. There were some isolated cases, um, and and so you know, it was a very novel situation, very clearly. Um, but with what we do, um, the, the traffic volumes dropped off dramatically, and maybe we'll come on to that later, because that, that's something, you know, perhaps is a bit unique about what we do, is obviously that there's public on the roads every day. Um, but we were trying to maintain our main operations, and in particular, our construction from, from the very start. So we're reacting, I suppose, and trying to set our rules and guidelines about how to keep people safe when there's loads of people locked away at home. And actually, we're still encouraging people to go to site. So quite rightly, they're asking, why is this safe to do it and how might it be safe? So a lot of you know, working with wider industry and trying to put the, put the rules into place. Um, and I think you asked the question mark around the differences. I think in, in the second peak, you know, we continue to operate and we continue to construct. But this time around, it feels so much more real. We know loads more people. Um, you know, tragically, we've lost um, colleagues to this. So it feels more raw this, this time. And, and if I can sort of put it this way, the novelty the first time around of what you mean I don't need to commute every day <laughs> you know I can be at home and do my work that novelty is long gone now and it feels like it's become a long slog so yeah what what once perhaps felt like a bonus particularly homeschooling it again you know it's starting to take its toll on some people and I'm sure we'll come on to health and well-being I don't know how we can't 
but but that's been the the real you know the long challenge here is how to keep people engaged and pe- keep people feeling comfortable and happy really so so many many challenges for us but yes some quite big differences yeah do do you feel like um and and this is this could be a broad sweeping generalization but be interesting to to get a view do you you feel like you're operating the business is operating with a different mentality that that perhaps in the first wave this is a temporary thing and we can move on beyond it now do you think people still in that mentality because i know there's a huge amount of talk about when the vaccine kicks in and we can kind of go back to normal i don't know what the whether that's the view in the organization or seeing it differently i i i think it's a bit split mark if i'm honest but i I've been amazed about how the ways of working have become normal. Um, and that's that's the thing. I, I actually kind of see it, um, if anything, the other way around. I think it's going to be quite hard to reverse some of our ways of working when we do start get to get back to whatever normal will be. Um, so, yeah, I, I think... Um, I think it, it, it's proving to be quite difficult, but I don't think there's many people in our business waiting just for the finish line of we're all vaccinated and we're back to normal it feels so ingrained now that i think we're, we're perhaps giving as much thought about what normal will look like as anything so yeah i mean how people have responded and how people have adapted has, has been phenomenal in our business and of course our supply chain is huge and we've seen that in our supply chain too so um it, it's been you know a really impressive response okay Good stuff. Thanks, Mark. Um, same, same question to you, Gareth, really, the, the differences between the first wave and now and, and and I guess any any learning that you've got at this stage about how the business is starting to, to think about the longer term. Yeah, I suppose the, the major difference with our businesses is we're genuinely global. So we operate in you know 100 plus countries. So we haven't really had one peak. We've either had one great big peak that's gone on for a long time or just more popping up in different places. So as a a global business, we haven't had a peak and then a trough and then a peak, although you obviously wherever you sit in the world, you've had that. And and most, most places have either experienced that or will. I think from an operational sense, the big difference to you know the, the subsequent peaks and rises in cases and the, the reintroduction of controls um, have meant that the, the, the difference has been the first time around, we were almost in a, a sort of crisis situation. So yes, everybody needed to go and work from home and we didn't know if some of our services and systems would work from home. But more importantly, we had genuine supply chain issues because you know, something like two thirds of our equipment, either the equipment itself or components would come be sourced from or come through China. So very early on in, in last year, we had a real crisis situation of not having components, not having materials, not having equipment. So everybody was operating very, very much in a crisis situation, backs against the wall. We must carry on delivering what are essential services in in delivering new networks, upgrading networks and maintaining networks. I think the difference we've seen once we've got over that and we've learned on how how to manage that is the real fatigue factor of the extra stress from an operational perspective that the impact of the, the, the restrictions more than anything else have put on people. So you know, everybody that's dealing in operational roles, yes, they, they, they've got to go out and they're exposed, so you know, potentially exposed. So initially there was a fear factor, um, but they're dealing with all of the, the normal financial, the personal health, the family risk issue, family risk issues, the financial concerns, and then going about and doing what are you know, operational tasks where there's less people to do the task, where there's perhaps restrictions on supply. 
And what we've seen is a real fatigue factor across the business, and that's both from a management and an operational level. And you're starting to see uncharacteristic behaviours and responses. And so I think that the difference between the two, if you were to characterise the way in which uh, people are managing the first time around with very much a crisis response, backs against the wall and almost adrenaline. Um, and, and as this has gone on, it's really a, a fatigue and dig in and, and you know, try to get through mentality to a certain extent. Yeah. yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? And it's interesting your point about un- uncharacteristic behaviours, because we'll talk about the culture in a minute and how we think that's affecting affecting the culture. Um, I, I know in the um, in the first wave, a lot of people were positive about the way people pulled together, both from a health, safety and a well-being perspective. And it'll be interesting to get a view on on what that's looking like now. But before we do, um, Ella, it'd be good to get a view from you as to what you're seeing across a range of organisations, the, the sort of differences. Yeah, I mean, uh, the other panellists really have summarised it. I mean, I was thinking um, when Gareth was talking about global as well, you know, a lot of our clients globally, um, you know, there, I think there are just three words that would sum it all up, which is acceptance. So now you don't have conversations if there's a, a child wanders in in the middle of something or, or you know, or, or somebody suddenly suddenly stops speaking and says, I've got to answer the front door. It's just acceptance. Nobody even, you know, it's just the way things are. But there's an exhaustion as well, which um, which there hasn't been before. The adrenaline's worn out and there's just exhaustion. But there's also disassociation. So everybody's um, everybody's um, carrying on in their in their sort of little silos, their bubbles, their home environments, their operational environments. So there's very much a disassociation starting to happen across organizations. Okay, good stuff. All right, thanks for that. So um, uh, I'm going to ask a question about culture. Before I do, just a reminder to the audience, obviously you've got a chance to ask any particular questions, so don't forget to, to write those up and we'll, we'll come to them through the conversation. Um, so we've talked a little bit about uh, individual behaviour. You made that point a second ago, Garrett. I'm, I'm quite keen to understand, as you'd expect, we're very interested in culture and the impact on culture, and, and we... Um, I guess, just as the crisis kicked in, started to have a think about how it might affect things. We even went back and did a bit of research on previous global events, if you want to call it that, and see if there's any research out there. And the, the picture was certainly mixed. Um, it's been interesting getting a view from, from organisations over the last 12 to uh, twelve months or so. It'd be good to get some thoughts from you guys, what you've seen from a cultural perspective perspectives specifically health safety and well-being but but obviously culture just doesn't sit in those three areas what's changed what is changing are there opportunities or is it more about the avoidance of the challenges that you see at the moment and any views on all of that yeah i'm, I'm happy to, yeah. to kick off so i mean i you know you talk about opportunity um, i think there's massive opportunity in this um, it, uh, clearly, I think for most organisations, other than I'm talking to, are finding similar things. But in, in terms of health and well-being, it is where the biggest cultural shift I think has been, and arguably, it's the it's the sort of shift that professionals in that field have been trying to achieve for probably the last ten years has been kind of forced to the fore on this one, um, where it's genuine care for each other and it's genuine concern for colleagues such that you check in with people at the beginning of conversations when you ask somebody how how they are, you kind of actually mean it. 
Um, and it, it's not unusual in our business, in fact, it's exceptionally common that the beginning of, of a lot of meetings will be a check-in before we move on to on, onto the main business. So um, I I think that's that's one of one of the biggest shifts that we're we're finding. Um, we've done employee surveys, as I'm sure many other people have, and the feedback from our employees is that um, they have really, really welcomed the approach that our organisation has taken about how much we've we've really meant it. It's not just been something that we've said; it's something that teams and individual managers have. 100% followed through on and you know rather than you know I think you know Gareth's touched on this a, a bit already but you know children being at home just being this inconvenience that get in the way of work it's not like that at all um, you know they're really welcomed in and and one of the one of the biggest reflections I have on this is just this whole concept of mental health um, I think probably if, if we're honest with ourselves, even a couple of years ago, if somebody, if somebody came to you and said, so-and-so is really suffering with their mental health, you probably would have thought that that meant that they had a condition of some sort or there was, you know, a label you could associate with that. But now if somebody says to me, you know, so-and-so is, is suffering from their mental health, the conversation goes on and say, well, okay, what's bothering them at the moment? What can we do to help? That the whole concept of mental health, I think, has is, is changed immeasurably. Um, and and I, I know that's not just a Highways England thing. I, I believe that that's elsewhere too. Yeah, and, it, and, and we've absolutely seen that amongst many organisations. An interesting question for me, um, just to build on what you said, Mark, is at the start, it was, uh, it was you suddenly the whole society, the whole of the world effectively was talking about mental health and well-being and how we look at, out for people. And as you said, it became an acceptable topic of conversation. And suddenly people were doing new things that they hadn't done before, you know, opening up questions, talking to each other, asking how, how each other was, and, and I guess putting more um, focus from an organisational perspective. And some of that is, is clearly still happening within organisations do you see that as sustainable now? I mean, one of the things that I wonder about is because it was new and novel and we were doing it for the first time and there was a something to talk about because COVID was new and novel, it, it, there was an ease in, in the first few months. You know, they're, they're over time, because it's the same thing we're talking about time and time again, do you think that's meant that people it's dropping off or do people still know how to, how to drive that? So I, I, th I think um, it's interesting how you word the question, really, because I, I think it's sustainable. I, I do think it's sustainable. Um, at, at the same time, though, I think it's going to take effort. And I think what we noticed is between if, if you if let's say there's one major peak and this is the second major peak and there's there's a dip in between. I think the number and type of conversations followed that exact pattern. So in the middle, there was a bit of a lull and we were reminding people to do it and to continue to check in because we were kind of assuming everyone was all right, really. Now, you know, it didn't seem as bad. And now I suppose, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, I guess. You know, in this most recent peak, again, we're seeing the need to do it. So I, I think it is sustainable, but we can't we can't assume that it's just going to happen. It's going to take effort from the likes of all of ourselves to keep on positioning it and reminding ourselves what was really good about those types of conversations. That's what I would I say. That, yeah, I think that's an excellent point about effort. I think, yeah, because I think another thing happens as well. I think the expectation rises 
So it's not just having a conversation, it's having a meaningful conversation and the expectation of what that conversation will lead on to and what's available for support. So the expectation of us between ourselves as individuals rises, but also the expectation of what an organisation as a company, as an employer provide rightly increases as well. So I, I think it does need effort to have to, to um, harvest that opportunity, if you like, and to really realise it um, and to make the most of it, but also to make sure that you know, that expectation is met as, a, as, as, it, as we move forward. Yeah, so it's a really interesting point you make there, Gareth, about the you, you raise the standards and you set expectations. It's always a challenge, I think, with culture that you start to do more stuff and then people expect more stuff. I, you know, over the years, we've done a lot of culture assessment type work, as many of you know. And and sometimes between the first culture assessment and the second culture assessment, it looks like attitudes have gone backwards. But actually what's happening is expectations have been raised, you know, that when you do this stuff for the first time, it's almost anything being done with people is a good thing. And then suddenly you educate them and they expect more and they're, they're a little bit harder on the organisation in that sense. And I, I suppose rightly, rightly so, because they understand suddenly what good goods looks like and they're moving with the organisation, if you like. So it's, a, it, it's certainly a challenge and, and an opportunity. Um, have you seen the same pattern, Gareth, that Mark described? I know you're not, because you're global, you're seeing different waves all over the place. Is, is that is that because of that, has that been more of a constant conversation or have you found they're kind of dropping off and pulling back, if you like? Yeah, I, I suppose there's been other trigger points. So yes, there's been the peaks, but also what's happening in the organisation and what's happening in the general calendar year tends to, to drive those increasing conversations as well. So, you know, our sort of business over on an, on an annual basis tends to follow a flow of, you know, getting better from a revenue perspective as the year goes on, but also the pressure increasing as the year goes on as well. So understandably, this on top of that, and on top of then the, the messaging and the the will for wanting people to still take their leave towards the end of the year, you know, getting a, a real genuine conflict between you know, wanting to still deliver as a business, because everybody recognises that is important for people to have that space and that time with their families and their leave and, and the conflict that causes. So um, perhaps our, our peaks and our troughs of those conversations have been slightly different or following a slightly different curve, um, but certainly, um, certainly variable over that time. Okay. All right. I want to dive into um, the point you made about sustainability in a minute, Mark. We'll, we'll, we'll come to that. So it'd be good to get a view from you guys as to as to what makes this stuff sustainable and the kinds of things we can do. Um, I, I, what I'm thinking about there bef before we get into it is... You know, one of the things that you you tend to do, or you, you we believe you need to do, to help drive a change in the organisation is is have that vision or that that kind of unifying principle, if you like, that you're driving towards. And COVID became that unifying principle, didn't it? That 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 drove the agenda of these conversations. And what does that look like for pe people moving forward? So it's a bit of an interesting one to debate in a second. But it'd be good to get a view um, from you, Stuart, about um, about this as well, because I know mental health well-being is a big part of your approach, isn't it? Uh, it, it is, and, and I've, I've literally just come off a call where, with the, the chief exec who, who is promoting um, be kind message because we are, as, as Gareth has said, we are seeing the fatigue, we are seeing the, the, the points where people are reacting now rather than going with the flow. <clears throat> um, so that be kind message is really driving a a bit of a culture 
across um, the organisation at the moment. Um, and we're, we're particularly lucky in the sense that we do have a family feel within the organisation. It's a relatively small organisation, but it is so close-knit and and the, the marine sector is also people know each other right the way across the business. So, so when you're talking about culture, um, we might have lost a little bit of the culture through siloing because departments are working independently. Um, but what we found is one of caring has really been promoted throughout um, throughout this time all the way through um, and if people are feeling well unwell they are also concerned that they're not passing it on to colleagues friends family and everything else because of that 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 close-knit community that everybody feels um, so and with that the mental health approach across um, the business is really starting to take off. Um, we are looking at um, the lack of boundaries that people have now between the workplace and the home. Um, we're looking at the boredom factor where people are just, what do we do? There's no social interaction and that side of things. So, so from a mental health perspective, we are concerned about that as well as the fatigue question as well. Are we going to have people just fall asleep for um, a week after everything's done and we've got gone back to a new normal and everything else that goes with it? So the mental health call is is critical for us. So, so these are some of the things you're describing that's, that, that you believe starting to, to, to turn this into a sustainable approach. I mean, you're talking about a very distinct vision there, I guess, from your CEO and some of the things that you're looking at, which sound like they're, they're sort of longer term pieces of work there. Yeah, very much so. So so we're, we're now looking towards the future, very much so. Um, we're looking four months in ahead, trying to... Everything that we have done, I don't think we can do anything more. We're just managing that on a day-to-day -day basis now. Yeah. But realistically, we need to look at four months' time to say, right, bad postures. Everybody's coming back from, from the home, home environment back into the office. People are going to have that bad posture. They're going to start having physio problems and everything else. Have we got those services to be able to sort of support those individuals coming back? Um, the changing boundaries between home and work. So we, we're all used to sort of the children jumping in and saying hello, answering school questions. It's a bit of fun. It's a bit of like relief, but we're still working. Um, we're not going to have that anymore so so that's a change that's a fundamental change that's going to impact people's mental health and that aspects related to it and and the anxiety of of leaving the home office coming back and doing the commute um that that's that's massive i'm fortunate i'm a, i'm 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 in an office two or three days a week to be able to manage the operational side but i still have to 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 work from home on some occasions so so i've got a nice balance other people it's going to hit them quite hard i think yeah yeah okay. culturally um 
It is about, um, Mark Bayard came up with a really good point earlier, which is it's, it's looking at the new normal, you know, what is the new normal? So, um, you know, everybody here is, is very much in the eye of the storm at the moment. And it's, so what, what would an ideal future like? You, you touched on vision, Mark, and uh, it's, it, you know, what would an ideal culture look like? Because it's probably an opportunity to... Um, reinvent the organization once you've put in put in place lots of these short-term measures you know we're talking a year four months ahead but you know what what would a company like to work into um, is another way of um, reshaping the organization towards the future yeah it's a really good point i mean i, I said a minute ago we, when whenever we talk to organizations about how do you move the culture forward one of the first questions is is there clarity is there a clear vision is that vision built from where the organize where the individuals in the organization are now where they are from a maturity perspective and, and does that have uh, some some buy-in across the organization is that a group conversation because it's quite easy to jump to some nice words and some nice stuff and we'll move on from there but that has to come from a willingness and a drive in the organization to actually do something different and, and move things forward and and what you're all describing I think is as a situation that's catalyzed a willingness from many to make sure well-being is, is a part of our approach so I mean Stuart you, you've described how you're starting to bring that to life Mark Gareth are, are you finding that the, 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 the conversation has started to move forward into what does well-being, health and safety look like for us moving forward in the future? Is, is more of that starting to happen in a concrete way, I guess? From a well-being perspective, yes, um, because I think unlike any topic I've dealt with in, in, in my career, this is the one topic or it has been the one topic where everybody in the room has had a personal opinion. It's a bit like when you see the scenes of Parliament when they're deb debating MPs' pay rises and you know expenses. Yeah? Um, it's a full house and everybody's got an interest and everybody's got something they want to say. And you know that's not typically the case when we're talking about safety topics and particularly at a fairly senior level. So you know I think that's the catalyst for me is that interest from everybody in the room that's got a personal opinion. And those personal opinions will be different and some of that needs molding so that you don't taint the direction of the organization by, by some, you know, by individual strong views. Um, but I think that's the real catalyst and the, the opportunity to make sure that instead of it being a program that's drawn up from a academic perspective, perhaps from benchmarking, perhaps from you know, experts like yourself and tribe, it's something that's the opportunity to drive that well-being portion of the agenda from within of what employees in the organization believe it should be. So that piece of that purpose and direction, I think, from a well-being perspective, is much easier to create than it's ever been in the past because everybody's got a, a very vested interest at this point in time. So when we talk about it being sustainable, I think you know, programs are always more sustainable when you've got more buying in their development. I think we've got a real opportunity to have probably the greatest level of buying in terms of the development now than we've ever had. Yeah. And, and I think adding to that, so Mark, you, you talked earlier about, I suppose, COVID and pandemic being a, a unifying principle. And um, I suppose from a Highways England point of view, I think this is very in line with the point Gareth made. We, we've had um, a bit of a plan and a strategy that's, that's known as home safe and well. Um, where we set out to try and do that before we even heard of such a thing as a global pandemic. And that was 
trying to establish the unifying principle for, for both keeping our, our customers, all of our wider supply chain and their employees, you know, literally home safe and well. Now, we never could have known what home safe and well would have come to mean and how literal that became. We, we could never have known that. Um, but I think it's, um, I think Gareth's point is, is really, really good. I think the next wave working with Tribe clearly, which is why we've engaged with you as well, is really trying to weave into that what, what the employee expectations are going to be going forwards, not just employee, but, but others as well that we work with more widely. Now, we did that when we wrote the document. Um, I think when we stopped counting, we'd, we'd consulted with 200 different people before we even wrote it. But, but I, think, uh, I think, again, it's an echo really from, from Gareth, but um, yeah, people's expectations will have shifted, they will have changed, and that's got to reflect in the approach that we take thereafter in how we deliver our strategy. So, um, and, and there's a lot of talking to people going on in our business. So I think we're already starting to do that. And, and I know, you know, you've done an initial set of interviews for us and with us of 54 of our staff in the first wave of, of, of how, you know, what's important to them right now and how we make those two things together. Yeah. So um, I think we're pretty well set up. I think it, I, I see opportunity here is what I see. Yeah, good just, stuff. Just to, just to jump in here. Um, something that I've I've heard from from lots of people, yes, mental health. Everyone knows it's it's there's a there's a light shine on it. It's really important that we're talking to people. But how prepared are your leaders, your managers, your supervisors to actually have those difficult conversations? How will they handle it? Or do they feel like they have the right skills to to have those sorts of conversations with people? I think that's a real mix. I think it's a very personal question. And I, and I think for us as a global business, that varies drastically depending on where you are in the world because of the different cultural approach, one to mental health anyway, but also to vulnerability, vulnerability uh, and how confident, comfortable individuals are um, as employees, as, as, as almost as friends, as colleagues, as being vulnerable with each other. Um, and very closely linked to that, how comfortable line managers, leaders, colleagues are about being offering help, support and asking those questions. And, you know, that level of success of those discussions varies and therefore the being ready to have those conversations varies significantly globally. But I think it probably varies significantly within the population generally anyway. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I'd agree, Claire. I, I, think, um, I, I think, again, feedback from, from those that we're working with, our employees, uh, um, is that, that managers generally have come through this really well. They've responded really well. They, they've handled it, you know, really respectfully. But we're all learning. Um, and, and I'm sure as many others will be doing, we've got all sorts of e-learning modules now about managing in a crisis, you know, positive conversations, all the, the whole new suite of training materials that we have to try and support employees and, and their managers in, in doing that. But yeah, I, I think, yeah, you know, it's not a skill set you ever say you've cracked it, is it? So I think it's just a continuous process of just trying to get better at it. From my perspective, um, are managers equipped? I'm not sure if, if I could answer that because of the, the personal nature of that, that question. However, our managers are fully aware of what support that they have at their fingertips to be able to support an individual. So, so we're very lucky in the sense that we have got um, 
an on-site doctor available to us who can do referrals. We have counselling um, organisations in place available for people that may need support and, and, and help within the workplace or at home and everything else like that. Like that. So, so I think we're, we're especially lucky because we've, we've got that in place already. Good stuff. I'd, I'd like to build on that, um, uh, thinking about the different groups in the organisation, because clearly we're not all the same and the challenges we're talking about, it's not, it's not all the same for, for different groups. And one of the interesting features of as what's happened to us and what's happened to organisations, and this is a perception or a perspective we've been picking up from the conversations we've been having with the workforce, is the, is the differences between those who've had the ability to, to kind of retreat back into what's been perceived by many as a protected bubble and those people that are out on the front line doing the job, facing up to the risk on a, on a day-to-day basis. When that first started happening, we, we thought that there'd be a, a big groundswell of resentment resentment or potentially there'd be a big groundswell of resentment from many people that they're having to face the risks and and other people are are in their protective bubble it hasn't been as bad as that actually many organizations you've seen people taking a reasonable view and saying we understand the differences but some of that has been there and I'm interested to see whether that perception has been getting worse over time and whether when we're talking about well-being or any other safety challenges we see that there's been a a different approach taken depending on that position and whether there needs to be a different approach. Yeah, and there's an interesting question along those lines from Peter Sillett there. And we've got another question from John Edwards, which I think would be a good one to kind of move on to later. So I'm just going to jump over that one for now. But Peter's asking exactly that. What what are people's views? I think it's interesting, Mark. I think to a certain extent, we never as as Nokia never experienced the the sort of resentment of those who are in offices and and you know not required to go out on site. Uh, I think there was definitely the sort of friction between those that have got you know nice comfortable home offices to work in versus those that didn't. I think there was definitely that tension there. Um and the you know the the particularly a lot of the decision makers in the organization being the, the likes of myself being pretty comfortably set up. I'm not sure we ever saw that operationally. What's interesting though, and for before all of the, the, the participants joined the line was, you know, the tone of resentment was from me towards Stuart who sat there in a, you know, sat there in an office. And I've been sat in my home office since, you know, the 6th of March and, and I'm pretty frustrated with it. So I wonder if that has actually gone full circle and actually, you know, the, the, those that are able to go out on site and, and go to site and go to wherever their operational site is and work because we've in most cases, whether that resentment has actually shifted in that period of time. I think I'd, I'd probably agree with you, Gareth, because, um, you know, people I've talked to said if, if they're, you know, even if it's three days a week, if they've got that sort of routine where they're going to site or they're going to clients' premises or they're, they're working out, they actually find that it's easier, um, and you know they say, you know, it's not so bad for me because I'm, you know, things haven't changed so much. Um, whereas, you know, I know that all of my colleagues are working from home, and every all my friends are working from home, and it seems to be a really big deal. So I, I do think it's gone full circle. 
Yeah, I, I don't think we're we're seeing this too greatly. And I, I was um, I was asking the question actually of some people just the other day. And it's really interesting. One of the guys I talk, spoke to is um, one of our frontline traffic officers. You know, the people that you see on on road clearing. Um, clearing the roads and, and doing the, the, the great work that they do right on our front line. And he almost didn't get a question um, because he didn't really perceive it. Um, his, his answers were very much around the on-road risks, how that's being managed, about concerns about COVID security, you know, in our control centres and things like that. But they were real practical um, practical concerns. But when I started using the word, you know, resentment and stuff, he just didn't recognise it. Um, uh, but but I get why the question, you know, I always used to feel sorry when I was sitting at home seeing, you know, and everyone couldn't go anywhere in the first wave and seeing the postman come back every single day and thinking, God, he must hate all of us. <laughs> he never said that, but maybe he did. I don't know. But yeah, so I don't think we've we've seen that. Um, I, I think, it, again, it's a good point, you know, about um, some of us are are craving a bit of, of normality and re-engaging it. Um, but I think also we've not really bunkered down completely. We've always tried to make sure that there is still some presence out on our sites. Um, you know, again, we've got a, a massive supply chain and we've tried to keep running as much as we can. You know, even in the first wave, we're kind of 90 percent on our on our on our main projects. So still continuing to visit those sites, so long as the benefit of the visit was outweighing the risk that you present to others or they present to you, then we would continue doing it. And we still do. So, yeah, that's not a big it's not a big feeling that certainly I'm seeing. Now, it might be hidden elsewhere in the organisation. I don't know, but I'm not seeing this big this big resentment factor. But there is a cultural disassociation. I think that's the issue. You know, people are out doing their roles and then you have um, people who have you know, been functioning um, effectively, giving, given everything in a, in a home environment. And we know we were talking about shifting to a new normal. Um, you know, how are you going to start to bring that almost um, disassociation back into one, one clear focus? Um, for me, is it resentment? I probably would say no, but there's concern from, from within my organisation specifically. I mentioned previously that we are a family feel environment and organization. We have husband and wife teams working within the organization. We have uncles, cousins and everything else. That's very much the, the, the way of, of the marine sector and, and, and working on the Thames. Um, so when we're asking a, a husband to work and come into uh, the environment where they are cohorting with six to seven other uh, people to undertake a job to to manage a key operational area yet the wife can stay at home do their job perhaps in the finance field and everything else like that and and they're quite rightly raising the concern of you're going out into the big wide world, but we're staying at home and following government guidance because we, we have an office role in that side of things. Um, granted, that's a poor example and, 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 and that side of things, but we do have that feel within um, the organisation where we are sending, asking people to come out away from, from the home and and 
work whilst others are, are, are working within the office environment. Yeah. Okay. And and and. Thanks for that, Stuart. And, and building on, on that theme of, of disassociation, if you like, of the different groups working in different ways, um, just we've got sort of 15 minutes left just under. I wanted to just bring us back to some of the practical health and safety challenges. Quite rightly, we've talked about well-being, but that there, there are other challenges and potential opportunities. And, and one of the things I'm really interested in, it came from a conversation that you and I had, Mark, once actually about, about this, that that when you've got managers who are further back from the workforce, um, what challenges and opportunities does that create? So if you've got less site visits, less managers out and about, does that mean employees are more empowered and therefore you've got a, an increase in responsibility from individuals or does it create you more of a challenge because all of a sudden you've got less visibility from managers out, out and about? And and I, I don't know if you if it's possible to tie the two together, but at the start of the pandemic, many organisations say they saw a decrease in injuries and incidents quite significantly. Some of that was a suggestion there was just less work going on, but some of that was people taking more responsibility or the belief was people were taking more responsibility and they had a heightened risk awareness and appetite, uh, not appetite, right? risk awareness, so therefore looked at things slightly differently. Um, what are we seeing now um, do we see challenges still or, or, or are there just opportunities because people have perhaps had to take more of a personal responsibility for some of this stuff? John, shall I make a start on that, Mark? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's so much in that question that I, that I could, could offer up, so I'll try to keep it relatively succinct. But um, I, we are starting to see in the last few months, the last couple of months in particular, that some of the incident rates have increased now, there's always a bit of a time of year factor to some of that, but but it's it's interesting and intriguing all the same, because if I, if I was being sort of superficial, I'd say they're broadly the inattention type incidents, which it, which is a, a, you know, a bit of an odd, odd category. Um, in terms of people taking initiative and empowerment, we've seen an awful lot of that. Um, and, um, you know, most of it's been really positive, but some of it less so. Um, and we we did a real study across this actually in our organisation of looking behind um, root causes of some of the incidents that are happening or some of the near misses. And um, what we've seen is there's some really good people trying to do the right thing, but sometimes coming to the wrong conclusion. And we've got a couple of incidents. We, we had one on a drilling operation where an individual, you know, tried to do the right thing, tried to step outside of his training and you know, perhaps when you'd normally have called a maintainer to site, they decided not to. And, you know, without telling you about the whole incident, got a result that wasn't the one they were expecting. And we start to see across our statistics that there is a bit of a trend of people operating outside of their core role and outside of some of their training, which is something to keep an eye on. Um, another part to that is, is risk that you talked about. So I, I remember a story I've told you, Mark, but in the very early parts of, of, of the, um, the pandemic, a conversation came to me about litter picking alongside one of our roads. And the, the idea was that clearly there was a gang who would do litter picking together. And, um, and the, so the thing came forward as well, you know, because of COVID, we hadn't better get this team working together to do the litter picking on the road. And you say, well, hang on a minute, you know, we're at 30% traffic volumes at the moment, which it was then, you know, the, the, 
the best risk decision here is to manage the COVID risk and to realise the opportunity that the reduced traffic volume offers to those people in terms of the, the fatal risk that they are faced with when they do work like that. So, our, 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 you know, it's a, it's a very simplistic example, but our way of looking at risk in, in terms of COVID and the operations we do, we've had to have quite a big look at that. Um, and again, I know our supply chain partners have hugely had to do so of how they work whilst still trying to keep things going. So we've definitely seen a shift, Mark. Yeah. Okay. I, I would say that we're similar. So we haven't had any reportable incidents for, for 14 months now, which is a, a great credit to, to the guys who are working. However, our our cuts, abrasions, the, the bruises, the bumps, where we are causing minor bits of harm to people are steadily on the increase and they've been on the increase for the last uh, four or five months now. So, so as we have come out of the first wave, people have got, what would say is as there are less people around, people are able to take the shortcuts that perhaps managers and supervisors who would have been walking around the site would have picked up on. A great example that we've got is um, somebody was welding, didn't put the screen around the welding and, and, and sparks flew in and, and caught somebody and everything else like that. So, so there are minor bits that are going on that perhaps the, the, the overseeing part isn't, is, is being missed. Yeah. Okay. View from you, Gareth. Similar. Um, I, I don't know if we've got any proof points either way. Actually, I think the only thing that we have seen is that um, the sort of near misses that we'd normally pick up from a uh, from site inspections or being reported where there's been no loss, so the sort of high potentials um, where there's been you know minor issues, we've seen a fifty percent reduction in reporting of those. Or you know, I'd like to think it was the occurrence of them, um, but. I'm I'm more of a mind to think that it's it's probably that we've just had less reported or less have been picked up through you know sort of site inspections and observations. Um, what we have seen is uncharacteristic decisions, um, i.e., people that really knew what they should be doing, and and when we've interviewed and talked it through with them, you get the feeling that they're individuals that you know genuinely would act. They've got a track record of of good behaviour. Um, and because of that fatigue factor that I mentioned earlier, have made decisions that they wouldn't ordinarily have made, yeah? um, and and some of them being fairly glaring. But um, I, we haven't seen an upturn from a, a minor incident perspective. Having said that, our reporting around those areas isn't very good. Um, but I think it's that behavioural factor that we see from um, from a fatigue and that lack of tolerance that we see um, that, that's sort of indicative across across our operation. Yeah. Okay. Just just to, to come back on the on the reporting side of things, just so that people might might say you're you're not hearing about them because people aren't reporting the incidents. Um, we have a healthy reporting culture. Um, we had a, to give you an idea to, between 2019 and 2020, there was a 10 percent drop in the number of incidents that we had reported. So. I feel confident that we are still hearing about the incidents, although um, they are of more of a minor sort of nature. Yeah, the behavioural side that Garth was talking about. Yeah. Okay. 
Good stuff. Well, we're rapidly running out of time here. It's, it's rushed on here. We, we, we talk a lot longer about some of this stuff. So be good to get as a, a final view. It's a question from um, uh, John Edwards. W what is the one positive from the uh, pandemic that you hope becomes embedded in the way that we work for the future? So it might be related to something we've discussed today already or, or something else. Get a final view. Um, can't, can't think. Maybe maybe you, Ella. Sorry, you kick us off with the with the final. Well, well for me, um, the one positive is that people are talking about um, health, safety, and well-being. You know, well-being, health, and safety uh, more than they've ever talked about it before. It's no longer something that people don't talk about. So it, it's a start. It's an opportunity. The door is open to build on. Um, it, it's as as we've said. It's about practice. And it's about learning new skills. And you know, we've got that opportunity in spades right now. If, if organisations just own it, adapt it and build it into their, into their um, future plans, it would make such a difference. Okay, perfect. Um, Mark, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think um, on, on a theme we've, we've talked about already, I think um, it, it's the emphasis shift that I would wish to continue. Um, I think we've really gone from employees who happen to have home lives to people who have home lives who happen to work. Um, and I think there's been a big shift in the balance there. And that's the one thing that I would wish to continue. And, and as we said, will we'll require effort for us to do that. Um, but that would be mine. Perfect. Gareth? I think it's the genuine care piece. I think the way that Mark explained it at the beginning, I hadn't thought about it in that context of you know, when people are asking the question, they genuinely mean, you know, how are you? Not how are you and how do we get on to our next topic of conversation? I think it's that genuine care element that is is probably one of those things that would be great if we can, you know, if we can enhance that and, and build it into everything we're doing. Great stuff. And final word to you, Stuart, then. Um, Two words, caring and talking. Brilliant. Okay. Look, guys, thank you very much. A really interesting uh, conversation. I I'm sure we can talk for, for much longer about some of the, some of these things. <laughs> uh, so apologies to cut you off, but I'm going to hand over to, uh, to, to Claire to, to finish us off. Yeah, as, as Mark says, big thank you to, to all our panellists and everyone who's tuned in today. I'm sure you'll agree it's a really interesting discussion, which we, we probably could have carried on for another hour. Um, so if you've been inspired by what you've heard today, do get in contact with us. We'd be delighted to carry on those discussions with you and to share more examples of how we're supporting businesses like the ones um, on the call today with bespoke programmes to drive safer, healthier, better cultures. And because we know how valuable this type of insight is to our people, our followers, um, we've been really busy in the last year or certainly the last six months and we, we're just launching now our new online platform which we're calling the Chrysalis Culture Hub and it's to share this type of knowledge, insight, practical tools and advice and you'll find support there for, for each stage of your culture change journeys, white papers, how to do videos, e-learning, supervisor toolkits, all sorts of things to, to support your programme. So if you're interested in finding out more about that, again, please do get in, in touch with us and we can arrange a demo. So if you have enjoyed today, please do let us know. Um, we'll be sharing the link to the podcast version of today on our website in the next few days. And I'll, I'll ping each of you who, who come along an email with the link to that as well. And of course, you can sign up to our 
web on our website to receive our tribe vibes um our regular insights and to find out about more events like this so that's it from me and everybody on the call thank you again everyone for your contributions today and we look forward to seeing you next time Thank you.